an actor. I made a career out of surviving personal and family dramas on daytime television. In real life, I've also had my fair share of challenges, just like everybody else. But TV and film can be a nice escape from our own daily struggles. But let's face it, life is not TV and film. Yeah, it's time to keep it real. With Real Conversations with Jacob Young, sponsored by Boys Town. My guest this week is a Disney star who originated the title role of Aladdin on Broadway. He's also been seen in the jungle, Simba and Disney's The Lion King. On the cabaret stage, now he and his sister, Ariel, set records at 54 Below in New York City. For musical theater fans out there, his solo album, Right Where I Belong, the songs of Alan Menken, has gotten rave reviews. And on screen, he starred in Bruce Reisman's Last Call in the Doghouse, and he and I are set to work together in Bruce's up-and-coming sequel, In Dog We Trust. He also has a brand new docu-concert that we're going to be talking all about. And we're going to be taking a magic carpet ride this week with Disney on Broadway star Adam Jacobs. You know what time it is. It's time to keep it real with Real Conversations with Jacob Young, sponsored by Boys Town. Adam, welcome. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Good to see you. Good to hear you. <laughs> yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. It's a real, real pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, we've worked for some of the same people, like, of course, now filmmaker Bruce Reisman, who we'll be talking about. But we also had the same boss at Disney on Broadway, and the one and only Tom Schumacher. Now, I played Lumiere, for those of you who don't know that out there, in Disney's Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. And our producer, Tom Schum- Schumacher, actually provided some of the background facts about you for this interview. So uh, be prepared. Oh, okay. You <laughs> I didn't blend. Okay. No, no, it was, it's that? all good. No, the, Tom yeah, is a I true gentleman as a person. San Francisco. Um, I attended the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. My parents put me into piano really early, age five. Um, and I did, you know, music theory and all that stuff and did community theater. Um, you know, and actually Tom Schumacher is also from San Mateo County. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. He says but, it's um, the uh, artichoke capital of the world. Is this true? Uh, no, it's the pumpkin capital of the world. Gilroy is with the garlic. And then uh, I can't remember which one's the artichoke, but, but the half moon Bay, they claim the pumpkin to be the pumpkin capital of the world. And they have the annual pumpkin festival where they truck in these giant pumpkins from all over the state and they weigh them with cranes and no and see which one's the biggest. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Have you ever grown any pumpkins? <laughs> I, I have not. Uh, there are plenty of pumpkin patches though, that uh, want to have that, that winning that titles. I want that title. The biggest pumpkin. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe Tom was wrong. He was like the artichoke capital of the world. I don't know. Well, but your sister Ariel now, what a, it's a Disney name, isn't it? Uh, played, it is. played Jasmine on Broadway, and you two have actually performed together on the stage of Fifty Four Below. Love that venue. Did, you know, you just said yes. you guys came from a musical background. So, are your parents musical? Were they parent? Your parents musical? My mom especially was artistic, and you know, we did the the church choir thing growing up. Um, and she can play piano by ear. So she's very musical. My dad, on the other hand, is completely tone deaf. Um, and, you know, just 
business sales guy. And I think it skipped a generation on his side because his mom was a cabaret singer in Vegas. And she was actually approached by the Tommy, by Tommy Dorsey himself wow. to go on the road with, with him. But she was only 15 at the time. And her mom was like, uh-uh. That's not happening. So she put the kibosh on that, unfortunately for her. Yeah, I can't see anything weird with a 15-year-old going uh, on on tour. Um, <laughs> but that's, that, that's but right. that, different times, though, right? <laughs> so you really are a part of the Disney theatrical family. In fact, your wife was in Mary Poppins. Yes, she was. She's a dance captain in Swing, and she performed on the national tour. She also understudied a couple of the roles, the um, Mrs. Corey and and uh, the one with the dog. And <laughs> so, yeah, she's she's done it. She danced in, in with the Radio City Rockettes for about five years. Um, so she's more of a, a dancer dancer. And, um, you know, I'm more of the, the singer actor type. But, uh, yeah, you know, we met doing a Christmas show in Hershey, Pennsylvania many, many years ago and you know, been together ever since. You know, most parents today are juggling a career and family and you guys had twin boys while Aladdin was opening on Broadway. How did you balance not one, but two newborns while starring in a huge Broadway musical? Yeah. I think the producers like Tom probably freaked out when uh, we, t- <laughs> we told them that, that we were pregnant, but um, yeah, they were born first day of rehearsal for Aladdin on Broadway and they are now seven years old um, and their whole lives have run parallel to that experience. But uh, we had help. We had my, my, my wife's mom come and stayed with us for about a month to help out with the night feedings. But, um, and they, you know, I have to credit my wife and my mother-in-law. I mean, the two of them, they really supported me during that rehearsal period because, uh, I had to get my rest. There was no way I was going to be able to, to be at the top of my game if I was you know, sleepwalking through rehearsals. So, um, they, they let me have my sleep and, and, um, you know, I didn't have to do any of those night feedings early on. So I I lucked out. (laughs) God bless mother-in-laws. I tell you, my wife's mom is a saint. And I know, uh, you know, when we were on the East coast, she was a huge, huge, you know, uh, would help out hands on made our lives so much easier. Then we moved away to Los Angeles and we had nobody. Then we decided we were going to have more kids. And then we realized just how tough it is. Uh, but it's great though, right? Your kids are a blessing. How old are your boys now? Uh, they're seven. They, they, like I said, they were born first day of rehearsal for Aladdin on Broadway and they are a handful. I'm telling you completely different personalities. Um, but, uh, it's a great age. Seven is cool. I mean, they're, they're one, they're in, they're marveling at everything, asking tons of questions and, um, and I'm, I'm enjoying being kind of the, the teacher dad, you know? Yeah. Are you, are they learning remotely? Uh, they had been for a while, but now they are back. Uh, our community has had really low numbers, so we've been fortunate. Um, I'm outside. I'm now actually based in uh, Chicago. I don't know if people out there realize that, but uh, I'm in the suburbs of Chicago now. And like I said, we had really great numbers. So they're back in school. And that's been really helpful because I know how just crazy it was early on in the year. And for everybody, uh, it was just hard. So um, it's it's good. Yeah. We've been teaching remotely. You know, my wife, she's, she stays at home. Um, and she's 
needless to say, she's a germ freak to begin with. <laughs> and when COVID <laughs> happened, it was like, forget it. You know, um, the kids were, were home. And I got to say, my son, who's 12 years old, his grades are actually better because he's at home because, you know, we're hands on and cracking the whip a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so sure, I'm, sure. I'm actually a little nervous. I want him to go back. I really do. He is going to go back. <laughs> he needs to go back, you know, to, just for his livelihood and for our livelihood. Uh, but he's, you know, I, I want him to stay on the, you know, the straight and narrow with the grades. It's a tough thing, uh, you know, uh, sometimes. So your solo album spotlights the music of Alan Menken, who also created the songs for Beauty and the Beast. Now, from Aladdin, you sing the song Proud of Your Boy, which was cut from the movie. And I heard that the director of Aladdin cries every time he hears you sing that song. What is the, what, what is the message of this song, Proud of Your Boy? Uh, you know, it's just a boy singing to his mom, saying he wants to make her proud and being just ashamed for all the times he's promised that and failed, essentially. And, you know, Aladdin, he's a guy who tries really hard to do his best, but he uh, just every time he tries to to do the right thing, he ends up falling back. So um, it's such a beautiful song. Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, you know, they were really upset, honestly, when they couldn't do it in the film and it was cut because of time restraints. Um, and when I worked with Alan on the Broadway musical, I had this really awesome moment where after one of the rehearsals, he came up to me and he said, you know, um, Howard loved this song. It's probably his favorite song. And you are doing an amazing job with this song. You're doing it justice. You're honoring his memory, essentially. And I was, I was just floored and just, you know, so happy to hear that from him. Yeah. I, I mean, I was going to ask you, how does that make you feel? But, you know, you sort of answered that. I mean, that's a, that's got to feel your heart and know that, you know, I mean, does it, is it a, is it a defining moment for you? When you hear something like that, it's definitely yes, for sure. When when you hear the the composer and the to say how uh, he he thinks you're doing a great job with this song, you know, it's it means everything. And um, yeah, and Alan was just so gracious with his time and energy. When I worked on my album, right where I belong, he took so much time with me and took me up to his home and we went through his entire catalog and we picked out these great songs, the classic ones and songs that people had never heard of. And we put together this, this kind of tribute slash collectible item, this album, you know, and I, I'm so proud of it, how it turned out. And with my, with the arrangements by Jim Abbott, a good friend of mine, um, we, we put new twists on all the songs and ended up putting, putting together this really fun piece. Now, is it available anywhere and everywhere you can stream and, Find music. Yeah. Right where I belong is available on iTunes and Spotify. Most people are streaming it on Spotify now. Spotify's a spot. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> no it pun is. intended. Uh, <laughs> so tell me, who are some of the most significant people who have encouraged you to believe that you could make your dreams come true? I have to recognize and credit my English teacher and drama teacher from in high school. Cause he cast me in all the plays and all the musicals. And he was the one after I, you know, was doing chain of Vida after one performance, he came up, which was a huge show for us to be doing in high school, by the way, <laughs> we did it. And he came up and he said, Hey, you know, 
uh, I don't know if you've thought about what you want to do with your life essentially, but you could do a career in the arts because you have the talent. And if this is something you want to do, you should consider it at the time. I wasn't thinking about that and, you know, didn't really have an idea. And you really planted that seed in my, in my mind. And, and, after that, they kind of just flipped the switch. I was like, yeah, yeah. You know what? I think I, I do. I really am enjoying this. I'm, and I'm, I have that passion now for it and I want to do it. So, uh, I really have to credit him for setting me on the path. And then of course my parents, they're super supportive. I had very supportive parents. You know, I wasn't, I didn't have the, the kind that said you have to be a doctor or a lawyer. Uh, you, you cannot be an actor. No, they, drove me to all the piano lessons and rehearsals and to everything. And, and so I have to always credit the, the time and the sacrifices that they made uh, to help me get to where I am. That's wonderful, man. When my, when I told my dad, I wanted to be an actor, he, he had this like glazed over look <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, well, it's your life. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's encouragement in, in some way, I guess. I mean, it wasn't a no. Yeah, true. You know, it was like, I'm like, so you're saying there's a chance. Uh, <laughs> right. Years later, of course, we had that discussion and he was like, I see where you were going when you were young. And I apologize if I wasn't completely supportive of that. So that was a really big thing for him to do because he's, he's a man of very few words. Uh, but but ultimately it worked out and, you know, you know, it's kind of, it's, you know, it's, it's a tough road for actors and artists. It truly is. I mean, yes. that, if you think about it's, the percentage, very much is. The, the percentage of people that get in is, and actually make a living or even squeak out any kind of career. It's so you should be really proud of yourself. And I know your parents obviously are too. You've managed to keep an optimistic outlook I, it seems through the whole covid-19 um has there been any real sort of challenging moments this last year yeah i mean obviously you know i had a um a lot of appointments and and concerts and sh and things on the plate at the beginning of the year that had to just that were just wiped out right and and it was a forced hiatus for everybody. And it was a chance to kind of stop and think and, and, you know, new perspective on things. And, um, and it, there's this last few, you know, months have been kind of hard because I'm like, all right, we've got to get to the end here. It's like, is this ever going to end? And I wasn't hearing news from our union. I wasn't hearing news. And it, it's like there was no date of when things would be opening necessarily. Um, uh, not until recently do we hear, you know, finally in the fall and Broadway's hopefully going to be open up again. But, uh, you know, up until then I, I was like, okay, I'm just starting to feel really getting that cabin fever, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, so, I mean, I try to do my wife and I, we did a, a backyard Broadway intensive for the local theater kids. We, we try to keep ourselves busy and, and do everything we can. I've been doing tons of virtual work, you know, master classes and concerts and stuff. But, um, but I miss, I really miss that live connection. And, um, and it's been hard not having that. Um, you know, I talked to a lot of my friends, uh, actor friends, and uh, a lot of them have moved away from New York city. They're living with their parents or just, you know, moving back in with their parents or changing careers. 
I don't know. I, I, every time I go on Instagram now, I see another friend of mine's a, a real estate agent, um, yeah, which know. is great. You know, it's a, actually a great job for yeah. actors, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it's that kind of thing where I'm like, come on, we gotta we gotta get back to what we know and what we love. And um, so I'm I've just been like chomping at the bit and waiting for for that to happen. Yeah, no, it's been tough. I've talked to a lot of friends and I think of what a lot of people outside of the Broadway world don't realize. Um, now I say this in the most polite way, but you know, it's a difficult living. They don't realize really what most of the cast is being paid on a Broadway show, but they're, they're doing it of course, because they love it and they love entertaining and being and connecting with people one-on-one. And then you throw into the mix, the cost of living in New York city and suddenly it's yeah. like, you know, you, there's no work. COVID has totally wiped out all the, you know, any live performances, music, you know, any concerts, you know, as well. Um, yeah. And so it made sense why a lot of people had to move out of the city. And and that made me really sad and and thinking about that. But if if you can, you know, find I, I moved actually from well, I moved from Los Angeles, but I moved to Utah for a, a while. But I saw what was happening with COVID and Los Angeles was going to be shutting down and Atlanta was still sort of working. So I said, oh, I got to get down to the southeast and try to, you know, put some pieces together. So I get it. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, it I've heard one bad story after the next and. It sounds like the fall, it's, it is going to be coming back though. It's coming back. I, I don't think it'll be how it was. It'll be, just be, you know, we're Broadway's moving forward. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not going back to what it was. It's kind of moving on and, and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how, how it, everything's been affected, you know, with everybody on zoom and, and, you know, with the vaccines and with tourism specifically in the big cities, you know, people coming in, um, are those seats going to be filled? And I feel like it's going to take time. And, and, but I also know that there's a, a huge amount of creative energy that is sort of waiting to bust out and kind of like, you know, everybody has been at home creatively, you know, working on making some new things. And I think there's going to be a renaissance of sorts. I'm hoping uh, we're going to see all this work that's been, that's been worked on. And uh, yeah, that's, that's my hope. And we'll see. Uh, is every seat going to be sold or is it going to be big distances? Right. Well, well, luckily, you know, the shows like the Disney theatrical shows, the people, the producers that have deeper pockets can afford uh, to do, you know, Wicked, Hamilton and and the big shows will be able to open at a smaller capacity. The majority of the other shows nowadays, they have to have full houses in order to remain solvent. I mean, that's just the the reality of it now. So um, we shall see how that's going to, it's going to be kind of rolling out slow, slow rollout in terms of, of the theater and how it, how it goes. But um, I, I, I get nervous. I don't, I don't really know how it's going to, what the yeah. picture is going to be. I just know that all the actors are excited to get back to work and, and, you know, we're excited to get back on stage, but uh, I'm a little hesitant in my, in my celebration because I'm like, what's it really going to look like? We don't really know until we're there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, do you think it's going to drive ticket prices up? I think, yeah, we're going to, 
hopefully, you know what, if we can get some, some subsidies, some help from the city governments and hopefully some federal help, uh, then we won't have to raise those ticket prices. I, I would love it actually, if we could find a way to bring the prices down again to where they were maybe 20 years ago and theater was very accessible to everybody, right? Like if we can get that <laughs> back, I mean, I don't know how that could happen, but you know, we have this pause, we have a chance to relook at all of these uh, structures, the payout structures and all that. And maybe we can find a way to make theater accessible to underprivileged people and to, to everybody again. I mean, that, that would be amazing. That truly would be amazing. I'd like to see that happen myself, make it available to people that, because I hear all the time, um, you know, youngsters and they're in their twenties and they're like, I've never been to a Broadway musical because you know, it's so expensive. Yeah. Unfortunately, those prices have just been going up and up and up and it doesn't seem fair and, and, and doesn't seem right. So, uh, you know, I, it'll eventually we're going to have to take a look at that and, and remedy that. Yeah. You know, uh, Adam, there's been some talk that from people that I've heard that you are profoundly nice. Now I'm talking to you right now and I'm, I'm getting the vibes that you are a profoundly nice person. What inspires you to strive to be such a decent human being? <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I'm glad my reputation precedes me as someone, you know, being nice and uh, generally well-liked. Um, <laughs> I, I think you know, I think it's just important to me in, in this business, especially it's so small, just to treat everybody with kindness and respect. You know, you, you see shows like, um, uh, smash and you see the divas and, and putting up throwing fits and it's, this is not real. You know, that's, that's not how our industry works. Those people don't end up working. Right. I mean, uh, we just we have to be honest, right. I mean, the ones that work the most are the people that everybody wants to work with people who are positive that do, they do good work this solid, solid work show up. And, and, and that's the kind of work ethic I feel like was instilled in me from my parents. And as well as like my, my grandfather, I, I talk about my grandfather in uh, behind the curtain, the docu documentary concert uh, because he came to the United States from the Philippines um, you know, many years ago, and he wrote a letter every year for 17 years, uh, every, every month for 17 years to come to the United States, he petitioned the government and he eventually got in. Um, so it's that kind of sort of determination and, and long-term thinking and perseverance that I feel like, um, I have, um, I don't know if it's genetic or what, but I, I, I feel like it's that kind of persistence that will help you in the long run because it, 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 it ends up being the people who can stick it out the longest that seem to find success in the business. Yeah. And the people that are most of the time that are the most successful that I found are truly nice people. Um, that's such a great story also about your grandfather. You do have this new docu-concert behind the curtain that has just come out. What will audiences learn about that when you do pull back the curtain, other than that wonderful story about your grandfather? I think they're going to see 
how relatable my story is to hopefully parts of their own lives. Right. Um, you know, I had to deal with, uh, identity issues growing up and, you know, not feeling like I fit in because I was of mixed ethnicity. Uh, I had to, you know, struggle and pay my dues before finally breaking into Broadway and <laughs> that whole journey. Um, and then the pressure of playing these iconic roles and, and, and the attempts at uh, relationships in the industry, <laughs> showmances and how that all plays out. Um, so I, I go, I cover a lot of ground in this docu-concert. Um, and I think people will be surprised to learn um, some of these personal stories and, and, you know, it's an intimate kind of look at, at my journey here. And I think they'll also be surprised to see I'm a little bit more of a rocker and because uh, I do some pop rock and R&B in the second half of the show. Now, I've I've been lucky enough to see an early screener of it, so I know how great it is. It's fantastic. Um, now. Where can they find it? I feel like it should be on Disney Plus. For now, though, it is uh, available directly. So you don't have to go through those large streaming services. You can just go to stonypointentertainment.com. And there you can get the DVD, the Blu-ray, and it's streaming as of uh, midnight last night. So you can rent it and and purchase it there at stonypointentertainment.com. All right, stonypointentertainment.com. And Tom Schumacher, when you do listen to this, let's get it on Disney Plus. Please, Tom, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we're both going to be working for filmmaker Bruce Reisman in a sequel to his successful movie, Last Call in the Doghouse. Can you tell our listeners what the original movie is about and what they can possibly be expecting in the sequel? Okay, so the original Last Call in the Doghouse. I play a rabbi, a young rabbi named Mo, who's adopted by a biblical uh, family, um, omniscient characters, you might say. And they own a bar in New York City called the Doghouse. And at the last call, the patrons come in and the ones who come in at the end, they need help. And we essentially save their souls for lack of a better phrase. We help them. We provide grace and healing and, and forgiveness. And um, it's kind of like touched by an angel. Um, Michael Landon, if you remember that it's a little bit of that mixed with a little bit of twilight zone. So it's, it was a really cool concept when I read that script, I was like, yeah, I I can totally see this working. And um, you know, Bruce approached me, because he knew me from, from my work in, in the theater and uh, we hit it off. And so that's, that's how I got involved with last call in the Doghouse. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting concept. I think, I think viewers will, will enjoy it. And then the sequel um, in dog, we trust, which I'm looking forward to, to working on with you. Um, you know, that, that script is coming out fairly soon, I think. So mm-hmm. um, I can't wait to see what, what he has in store for us. Yeah, he. I was speaking with Bruce recently. He said, "Yeah, it's where he's going to be sending off the script." So I'm, I'm in suspense here. <laughs> Me too. Pins and needles. <laughs> so I have a, one more question for you, and it's a question that I ask everybody. Um, my sponsor is Boys Town, and their slogan is "He ain't heavy. He's my brother." And mm. basically, in my life, in everybody's life. Somebody has carried us. 
Adam, who's carried you? Uh, you know, I'd have to say, uh, my, my dad, you know, he, he was always there. Um, and you know, my mom, of course, as well, but my, my dad has always been the one that uh, could always kind of just know that he'll always be there in, in the sense that I could depend on him. Um, and he's carried me through. Yeah. That, that song, ah, I love that song. And I sing it as my, <laughs> my fi- finale song in the documentary concert um, in the hall. Ho- it's by the Hollies and it's a beautiful, beautiful number, but um, yeah. Uh, he's, he's definitely the guy who's, who's provided that support and um, that's it. That's beautiful. That's very beautiful. And in the docu concert, make sure you catch it. Make sure you catch that song. And um, I want to say thank you, Adam, for joining me for today's interview. Lumiere meets Aladdin. Who knew? Uh, and I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing your new docu concert. And I'm really looking forward to working with you in the near future. Fans will not want to miss Adam Jacobs behind the curtain or the beautiful Al Minkin music on the solo album. There's a lot more to come, so make sure you follow Adam Jacobs on all of his social media platforms so you don't miss a thing. Thanks again, Adam. Thank you, Jacobs. Awesome. Real Conversations is proud to announce our partnership with Lane Frost Brand. We'll be doing a monthly giveaway of a different item each and every month, so be sure to enter. All you have to do is follow at Real Conversations with Jacob on Instagram, tag two friends, and be sure to download the latest episode of my podcast. And in the meantime, make sure you check out all the amazing merchandise for the whole family at lanefrost.com. I'd now like to bring on the manager of the Boys Town National Hotline and, of course, our resident professional, Chris Hallstrom. How are you, Chris? I'm doing great, Jacob. How are you doing? Good, good. It was an exceptional interview with Adam Jacobs. I was so lucky to have him on the show. For any of the Disney fans that are out there, of course, Broadway fans, uh, Adam is a major star in the Disney world, uh, Disney on Broadway. So it was a real privilege to have him on there. He just sounded like a really nice guy. And I know you commented on that too, that you had heard that about him before um, you had even done the interview. So yeah, he just seemed very down to earth and very well-spoken. Yeah. You know, I mean, to, to be able to excel in such a demanding uh, world of being on Broadway, number one, because so many people are vying just for like, just like TV and film vying for those coveted roles in those big shows like Aladdin and Lion King and Les Miserables. Um, and you really do have to be grounded. You have to be able to focus uh, to be able to do what he's doing. And he was, you know, he's such a nice guy. It was actually really the first time I'd met him, which was interesting because we run so many circles. But, um, you know, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about that and what it means to be a nice person and how important is it to have a reputation in both the workplace and personal life. Well, one of the things that he talked about was how, you know, the, the different shows, um, movies or whatever that depict the divas that are the stars, um, how that kind of thing doesn't really happen that often. Um, and you don't want to be a diva, uh, in your work life, whether it's, um, whether you're an artist or, um, whatever it is that you do, uh, because people want to work with people that are nice. They want to work with people that are kind and, um, easy to work with. 
Um, and, you know, honestly, like even with kids, we get kids at the, the hotline that contact us about, oh, I'm not very popular or people are being mean to me. Um, and sometimes we have to just kind of sit back and look and say, OK, well, what can you do in that situation? Um, maybe to make people like you more or how can you be more kind or um, what are the small little things you can do on a daily basis? Maybe it's just put a smile on your face um, or give somebody a compliment. Uh, those kind of things um, just set you in a, in a more positive light, both within relationships and um, work, school, whatever it is that um, you are concerned about. That's great advice. And I always find too, simply asking somebody a question, how are you today? Or be, you know, engage in something that they might be interested in um, can really help set the tone for your work day uh, and your relationships in the workplace. Exactly. Show an interest and um, ask those questions without being ready to respond um, and talk about yourself. Because sometimes people will do that. They'll say, well, how, how, how's it going today, Jacob? And then they'll wait for you to answer and you can tell they're not even really listening. They're just waiting to jump in and start telling you about how their day was. So it's just taking an interest in other people um, and making them feel important. Exactly. You know, we, you know, we've talked about this a lot as well. Live entertainment, of course, was hit really hard during the pandemic and specifically Broadway has been completely shut down because we couldn't do any live shows due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And a lot of my friends that I've known from Broadway have, you know, this was their livelihood and it's very expensive city to live in New York. And a lot of them had to actually move out of the city while this was going on because there's just no income that was coming in. Um, We've really sort of had to reevaluate. Broadway's had to reevaluate um, how they're going to reopen. They are supposed to be reopening in the summer, which is great for all you Broadway fans that are out there. Um, but, you know, some of the lessons that we've had to learn through this pandemic um, have been, you know, I, I think maybe there's some positives to oh, take I would away. Agree. What do you think? I think one of the things early on that everybody was panicked about was, oh my gosh, I'm going to be locked away in my house or apartment or whatever for um, how many months. And honestly, to some degree, it was kind of nice just to chill out and not have all the expectations of having to go all these different places and um, not maybe even being quite so concerned about how you look. Um, uh, but just to sit back and maybe appreciate the simple things, being able to go outside and breathe in some fresh air. And I know my family, we did a lot more outdoor activities early on, um, just because we weren't, you weren't quite sure, like if you're all enclosed in a house together, you know, what, what could be the risks, but we started playing all sorts of yard games and have had more fun with that. Um, so some of those things, if you can take that away, um, the things that you started to enjoy within your family or personal life and keep doing it as we move forward. I think we're probably spending a little more time with family. Sometimes um, that's created a little bit more stress, but when it comes right down to it, what are the things that um, that you took away from it that were a little bit more positive? Yeah. We definitely take a, we took those things for granted. I think before there was a lot of things we took for granted. I mean, just simply going out to the park, getting exactly. some fresh air, spending time with our family. Um, I, and I, you know, I know from my personal experience, I grew closer to my family through this time. Uh, 
you, you, you really, we had to hold on to something. Right. And, um, you know, thank God I had a family to hold on to and I right. had a family to hold on. I think could hold on to me. So we were there for each other. And I think, I hope, hopefully most people, right. You know, during this, this pandemic found that as a, as one of their positive is that they grew closer. Right. And I think some people like picked up on some hobbies um, that they kind of weren't used to doing, whether it was like baking because you didn't go out as much or, you know, cooking Um, some of those things. It's just it was kind of nice to have a little bit of a simpler life for a while there. I know I picked up crochet. I do miss being able to shape. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I do miss being able to um, shake people's hands and give people hugs like that I look forward to being able to do again. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I'm I'm half vaxxed right now. I've had one Pfizer shot. Uh, I'm getting ready to have my second, and I'm really looking forward to the traditional handshake and not the fist bump and uh, the wave from a distance. Right, and and just the when you're wearing a mask, how easy it is to drop eye contact with people and not interact. Um, just standing back from people, I just I hate socially what it's done to all of us. So I, I do hope that some of those things return back to normal again. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, I feel like a lot of our social skills have gone away. I mean, I find myself, I'll try to engage with people just to, you know, as they're walking by, I like to nod or I say hello, even with my mask on, but it's so interesting how people just will t- tilt their head and try to pretend that you're not even there some people and uh, you know I, I i think maybe that might be a little bit extreme that they're you know they're totally disengaging with people um because when they have to reintroduce themselves to the world and interacting with people socially it might be a slightly awkward yeah i would agree i think it's been able to hide behind it's easy to be able to hide behind those masks sometimes especially like if you're running into a store real quick and you just want to run in and get something and get back out again um, it's real easy just to kind of hide behind it and not engage with anybody. Yeah, I, it's going to be interesting once everything is back up. But, you know, thank goodness that Broadway is opening back up and that we're going to be able to enjoy live theater again, go to concerts again. I think I think we're rounding that bin. Fingers crossed. And uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to those to those days again, everything getting back to normal. I would agree with you. Schools and everything, getting people back into their normal routine is going to help mental health um, across the country. 100%. Well, I want to thank you, Chris. Well, thank you once again for having me. I appreciate it. That's about all the time that we have for today. Real Conversations with Jacob Young, the mental health podcast sponsored by Boys Town. At Boys Town, their slogan is, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. And for over 100 years, Boys Town has been saving children and healing families. They're only one call away. They're always there to help. Please go to boystown.org for all the details on how to access Boys Town's health services. Or you can simply go to yourlifeyourvoice.org. And if you are in crisis or you need immediate help, please call the trained counselors at the Boys Town National Hotline, 800-448-3000, 800-448-3000, or text VOICE to 201 201- They'll respond with a text. Thanks for joining me on Real Conversations. I'm Jacob Young. Till next time, love yourself and love each other.